This is Brian Saber. I am back with Jerry Panis, and we've got an interesting topic now, and that is how do you define success as a fundraiser? And for each of us, what do we think we owe our success to? So, Jerry, how would you define success as a fundraiser? Again, the market has changed a little bit. Fundraisers today are pretty much judged by the financial objective and how much they need to raise for the year in order to be successful and help the organization. It means being torn between transactional fundraising and needing I must produce X number of dollars a year or I'm in trouble for my job or having the confidence of the board and the CEO that they know I'm working all the time at this and some gifts need a little bit more time to flourish. You can't make a pickle by sprinkling a little vinegar over a cucumber. Mm. It takes a little time. It takes some mercy. And so fundraisers having quotas is probably the right thing to do, but it's not really great fundraising. And um, some of the great fundraisers would say uh, are against quotas because they know it's not good fundraising. Though I'd say I happen to agree, and where I flourished in my career was where my bosses understood I knew what I was doing and that I had an end game rather than a short-term solution. Yet, you can't have a budget without a line for fundraising. So there has to be some number there that you're striving for. But there has to be an understanding at the same time, which is what I know what you're saying, that you don't sacrifice, let's say, the long-term relationships with your donors to reach that goal. You're really torn. The fundraiser is torn. Yes. And I do believe in quotas, but I also understand, just as you said, that some relationships take a longer time. Right. And there's probably, I go back to my economics background and this Pareto optimum principle that applies to so much, and, and we know there's a certain point at which we've maximized money and relationships. And if we try to push one, the other is going to fall short, right? If we work too hard at relationship, we're so focused on relationship that we're afraid to ask, the money will go down. And if we're so focused on money and getting money in the door, the relationship could go down. And so I often think that one of the strongest characteristics for a fundraiser is having that intuition to know where that moment is, where that point is for every donor. So, what does a fundraiser do? Well, for one thing, sometimes you just have to marry the girl. (laughs) You just have to work at it. But it's up to the fundraiser, the person on the staff, to make certain that the person he reports to knows that he's out working. And you just know that if you use a system like Moves Management, you will know, is this donor going to give 
at the level I'm asking and how soon. You just know it. And if you're working that system, your supervisor knows that and hopefully feels good enough about you that will show appreciation rather than be upset. Mm -hmm. I have always been a big believer in contact reports, and they're very important, but often people come back from meetings and they might write up a few sentences when they get to it or something. I have always written detailed contact reports about what's transpired and what I've learned, and I've always passed them on immediately to my bosses. And my bosses, and I make note of three of them in my book that's just coming out, Ron Manderscheid at the Settlement House in Chicago, Janice McGuire at the Settlement Hudson Guild in New York, and Nancy Winship, who was my boss at Brandeis. All three of them trusted me. And part of the reason, I think, was I kept giving them these contact reports, which showed I was out in the field, getting to know people, making progress, and, of course, tying down gifts. Uh, And they realized that there was a vision there that I was moving to. And I do think that relates to moves management. I didn't do it in as official a way always as a moves management program, but it was that idea of moving the donors along and those contact reports showed my bosses where I was at at all times. Now, here's what's tricky. And by the way, you're getting out a book? Yes. Well, by the time people hear this, it could very well be out. Asking Styles, Revolutionize Your Fundraising all about the core concept at Asking Matters that I've been developing over these years that first developed from my work with Andrea Kielstedt, who started Asking Matters with me. And it's all about what our style is, how we're all different as fundraisers, and how we should use that to uh, be successful fundraisers. Oh, great. Good for you. Good for you. Thank you. Yeah. So let me ask you, we say we've talked about success as being this combination of relationship and money and quotas are good but can't be the only thing. So what what would you attribute your success as a fundraiser to? If you were going to give me the top two or three things, your attributes that you think most led to your success as a fundraiser, what would you share? Ah, it's interesting. I've never been asked that question. That's the second question I have asked you just today that no one else has asked. So I would say that, Brian, you know what's interesting. Fundraising is my ministry. It is all about what I do. And when I can work with an organization and feel I've made a contribution, I know that what I've done has a ripple effect, and it's impacted the institution and all those who are served by the institution, and that keeps driving me. It also is why there are some clients I don't take on, because I just don't have that strong a feeling about the organization. And so working with the variety of organizations that I have and working with the people that I have. You know, it just makes it plain fun. But it also means I've always felt that my purpose in life began the day I was born and that it's my job in life to do something 
that makes an impact. And I can't think of anything more important than fundraising because the ripples, I'm helping save lives and change lives. And me, I'm making it happen. So, so I think you're saying that one of your key elements of success has been choosing organizations you're passionate about and right. supporting them yeah. and not being just a gun for hire, but being someone who's really mission-driven. Yeah. I can remember uh, starting my work in Dallas. Dudley Rouse was the uh, number two person that I was working with for the Wadley Blood Center. And he said, Jerry, if you raise the money we need, you will be as important as any one of our scientists. Well, hmm. Hmm. think of how I felt about that. I was as important as any one of the scientists. I was helping conquer cancer. Amen. And each of us in fundraiser raising are helping save lives and change lives. We're making it happen. I couldn't agree with you more. I often say to fundraisers, we are the ones who are making the difference because with all the great ideas, if we didn't raise money for them, those ideas would be meaningless. There'd be no way to implement them. And so our role is critical. And I think knowing that and being driven by that is important in fundraising. What else would you attribute to your success? Hard work. Because being a fundraiser and doing the job properly takes a lot of hours. And I remember when I first started, John Bencha said to me, because I asked him that question, he said, most people are willing to work six, seven hours a, a day. He said, I work 12 to 15 hours mm. a day. That means every week I get in an extra couple days of work. Now, when I did my third book, which was What Makes a Great Fundraiser, my publisher said, people in the field will be upset that you indicate that they need to work more hours. Mm -hmm. And I said, I didn't say they need to make more hours. I took 50 fundraisers I felt were exceptional, and they all worked 50 or 60 mm. hours a week. So I think the long hours. Interesting. As I was listening to you, I was thinking of hard work, not in terms of hours, though there are a lot of hours, but in terms of this need to just do it. So much of our work is reaching out to people, reaching out, trying to set up meetings, trying to make connections. We're not always in the mood for it, but we always right. have to do it. Yeah. And I think that for me, one of the things that led to my success was just doing it, getting past the, uh, I'm not in the mood to pick up the phone today, and I yeah. really would rather not be going out this week, but that's what I have to do, and that's what's going to help build these relationships and bring in these gifts. And I did the work, which is similar, right? You're saying yeah. it takes a lot of time, and I'm saying keeping your head down and doing the work is important. Yeah, and willing to take on the impossible. Mm. Because those people who are willing to do that 
don't know it can't be done, and they go ahead and do it. Uh, about 15 years ago, I had plaques made for desks, and on the plaque were the words, I can do it. Mm. And if you really believe that, you can perform miracles. I'm just now writing about Michael Brunker in San Diego. He did not know that his organization couldn't raise $32 million. And he just went ahead and did it. Mm. And so sometimes it just says, as you said, putting your head down and getting it done. Yes. I also think, and we've probably talked about this a little bit, that I'm an introvert, which means I derive some of my energy from being with myself. It can take energy to be with others. I do like people and like getting to know them, but always in small groups, mostly one-on-one. And so that quality, I think, has served me well, that I really enjoy being with people one-on-one and getting to know them, and I'm likely to ask them lots of personal questions and share a lot of personal information about me, and I think that's helped me a lot over the years. This is such a great question. You're an introvert, but people, when they think of a fundraiser, think of a back-slapping, boisterous extrovert. And your answer to that is? No way. Well, no way not that that person can't be a fundraiser, but no way that that can be the only one. That we all have different skills and different qualities, and they help us in different ways. And we work with who we are, and there's no one ideal for a fundraiser. A fundraiser absolutely doesn't have to be one of those really outgoing, gregarious people. They are wonderful to be around and very engaging, though sometimes they're not the best listeners. So they bring that energy but might not learn as much about their donors. So it's always going to be a give and take. And introverts are very fine fundraisers, though they tend not to think so because they look at that ideal. But they're the ones who are more likely to sit back and listen, to ask a question and wait for the answer. And that's so important. I think, actually, most often they're not the right person. And I have what I call the three E's. We did a study with donors. What do they like to see in the person who calls on them? And the three E's are energy, They want somebody on fire Mm -hmm. that really is passionate, you know, and and shows it in the energy they provide. And one is empathy, getting to know the person and getting to know them really well. And the other E is enthusiasm. That's the other E, showing a passion, really feeling good about the organization and showing it. Enthusiasm is such a great word. Mm. comes from two Greek words. The Greek word in, within, and the other, enthusiasm, the Greek word for theos, God. So to be enthusiastic is to have God within you. Mm. Isn't that a great word? Mm. Yes, and of course, I don't know if everyone knows that you are Greek. Your heritage is Greek, so it would make sense that you you know the Greek derivations for these as well. So energy, empathy, and enthusiasm. Right. Yeah. 
and that goes a long way. And you don't have to be an extrovert to have energy, empathy, and enthusiasm. Exactly right. right? You just need to care, Yeah. really. You need yeah. to care passionately. And so, Brian, people who say, oh, I just can't ask anybody for a gift. Oh, I just, I don't know how you guys do it. It doesn't take an extra, but it does take really believing yes. in the institution. Yes, and and I think that, that brings us back, in a sense, to the beginning, to what we said here. You need to be committed, and we both agree that we've made a point of working for organizations we really believe in. Right. If you're going to be a gun for hire, it's going to be difficult to be successful. I think that's true. It doesn't mean you can't appreciate what a wide variety of causes can do for the world, but there are still going to be some that stir you, that you're passionate about. Right. right? For instance, the medical field is very important, but I actually don't have the passion for that that I have for education, for social services, for the arts, and for some other sectors. So while intellectually I might understand the importance of ridding the world of a disease, it's not something I personally get behind. Yeah, exactly. Right? And yeah. I think understanding that distinction is important. And do understand that your donors feel the same way. Absolutely. And that gets back to the quid pro quo yes. that we talked about. Indeed. They just don't have the passion right. for it. Right. Which is why I always say we, we talk about needing ability, belief, and contact and people will often throw out the name of the wealthiest person they know in town. Well, we all know who the wealthiest person is, but even the wealthiest person isn't going to be passionate about every sector of the nonprofit exactly. world. So as a matter of fact, the best philanthropists are those who have focused in and are really making an impact <laughs> in a few areas rather than just spreading it around. Yeah. So very good. We did a campaign for a hospital in Nashville, Tennessee, and everybody said, well, we ought to call on Dolly Parton. She has the money. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, maybe we should call her. Has she ever used a hospital? No. Does she know anything about us? We don't think so. Then why would she be a good person to call on? Just because she has money, but that yeah. is not the reason. Yeah. Not enough right. of a reason anyway. Great. Well, thank you for this discussion about uh, what success means and the different traits we feel we've brought to the field. And I hope everyone will leave here thinking, what are my top three traits? And to really embrace them because we all don't have the same exact traits, but hopefully right. we're all bringing passion right. uh, to the causes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, before you leave that, if they're only on the job because they need the salary... But there isn't a keen feeling about the mission or the ministry. They either are in the wrong profession or the wrong institution. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Jerry, as always.